Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lost souls Welcome back, everyone, to the 17th episode of the Take the Points podcast. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, joined as always by Arjun Menon, where we will do our week four review, give out our Who Was Him awards, and talk about some letdowns, and look ahead to week five. Arjun, we did a little week four review and we went on the PFF forecast on Sunday. How'd you enjoy that experience? Yeah, it was pretty sweet being able to go on to the forecast after kind of being a loyal listener for the past two years, pretty much my freshman year. And you know, we've, we we kind of heard all about the how the podcast is kind of widely regarded as like one of the top analytics heavy podcasts in the football sphere. You know, like when George and Eric kind of announced that Eric was leaving to Sumer, you know, you had a lot of people saying like, we're going to miss the forecast, and like how it was like the the face of the football podcast mm-hmm. uh, for the analytics community. So really cool that, um, you know, we were able to go on. And, you know, really appreciate our friend and co-worker George Chahuri for inviting us on. And, you know, hopefully it won't be the last time we were able to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, it was kind of like what the Chiefs did with replacing Tyreek Hill with MVS, Juju Smith-Schuster and Sky Moore, where they were replacing Eric on the podcast with me, you, Ben Brown and Brad. So, you know, you got to get the sum of the, <laughs> the parts there to get that. But yeah, so we'll we'll review our bets at the end of the episode um and, and talk about like our process there and <laughs> and and kind of like where we're where we're sitting there. Um but you know I wanna I wanna start with a game I wish we could have watched more of on Thursday night, but thanks to Buffalo Wild Wings, a sports bar that doesn't show sports apparently because they didn't have an Amazon Prime login. Uh we had to like watch this game on like other people's phones uh while we were there. So um, you know, we, I was able to go back and watch a decent amount of it, but like, what was your main takeaway from, from Bengals Dolphins? Yeah. First off, I don't think I've ever seen like, you should really show like anger, like that emotion outside of to Matthew Stafford, uh, <laughs> where like you were like legitimately mad to, at Buffalo Wild Wings for not having a game. I was also, you know, pretty disappointed, but to me, okay. The biggest takeaway I had from Bengals Dolphins is I really think the Bengals will have a significant drop off on offense. If, one of T Higgins or Jamar Chase gets hurt. They can, they can um, get past a lot of their inefficiencies in the run game by simply how explosive they are with both of those two. But the problem I have with this offense is you saw the Dolphins plan was to run the Belichick scheme against the Bengals. They, they put Xavier Howard on T Higgins and said, you're going one-on-one the whole game and we're going to double slash shadow slash bracket Jamar Chase and not let him beat us you know, even though we're not, we don't have Byron Jones on defense. Now, the problem is all it took is one play for Xavier Jones to mess up again in press against T Higgins for the Bengals to score a 60 yard touchdown. Now, if one of them gets hurt, you can just double the, like either taking the other one who's not mm-hmm. hurt. And now you're kind of left with a bad run game and one receiver who's good. And I don't like Boyd has kind of regressed a little bit. So I think, the Bengals will go as far as, you know, if Chase and Higgins can stay healthy and like you can play man on the Bengals if 
one of them is hurt. But Boyer did not listen to us when we <laughs> recommended him don't play cover one. And, you know, even though uh, Joe Burrow did well against cover two, like he actually averaged like a good EPA per play. I still think in the long run, those explosive plays against cover one or cover one double, whatever you want to classify it, hurt the Dolphins in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think I think that's like a good point because like the Bengals run game is so bad right now. And like we've spent, you know, hours talking about how pass games more important than the run game, all that stuff. And it still is. But the story of the season so far has been that the run game is becoming more important because of how defenses are being built. And how they're scheming, you know, with with all like the increase in in too high safeties and everything. And so like the Bengals not being able to run the ball, you know, an overall uh, rush EPA per play of negative 0.37 when they passed, you know, at negative or sorry, positive 0.41. So in early rushes, you know, they had a 35% success rate uh, on, on early down runs. And then only one of their 20 early down runs gained a first down, which is just wild. Um, and one of the worst marks of the season so far. So I think like when the Bengals, when defenses just have no respect for the Bengals run game, like as they should be, because it's not blocked well and the running backs aren't good at, you know, creating or at least getting even what's blocked for, but even creating extra things on top of that, we're going to start to see some limitations of the Bengals offense. But I think they might be fine because their defense is so good. And like we, you know, we talked again a lot about defensive regression this year um, from a couple teams, and because it's like been a weird season that hasn't happened so far, and like the Bengals are like a good example of that. And like even you know Tua Teddy, uh, no matter who was playing quarterback in that game, was pretty limited from an advanced metrics point and just like on the field. Yeah, I do. I do want to see the Bengals play like like a legit top ten quarterback at some point. They've they've you know not really had this toughest stretch of quarterbacks to start the mm-hmm. season with Trubisky um in week one Cooper Rush uh Joe Flacco and now Bridgewater to like now they go against you know the and one of the MVP front runners in Lamar Jackson yeah. so as much I think Lou Anarumo deserves a ton of credit you know the Bengals Diaz looked great but now I think they're gonna have to really step up and perform against some top tier offenses yeah um, but you know, Viking Saints, the early Sunday night morning game, and this game was interesting. I think the Saints were the better team. Mm-hmm. Um, I was using our friends, uh, Parker Fleming's it goes by Astats of War, uh, his like way of like evaluating, like, I guess, like which team was the better team. And so he just looks at uh, basic net success rates for each team. And the Saints basically had a 13.1 higher success rate than the Vikings. Kevin Cole's adjusted scores even had the Saints with 33 points and the Vikings at 22. Yet the Vikings still won this game. And I I mean, it was just so weird how the Saints like were fumbling here and there. They weren't able to convert on, on certain plays. And I mean, just, Justin Jefferson really took over this game. And I think he was the X factor and why the Vikings were able to overcome a lot of these advanced metrics that said the Saints were probably the better team, but the Vikings were able to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. But like, I also feel like the refs just made, played a big factor in this the outcome of this game. And, you know, I, I feel bad for Saints fans because ever since that, uh, you know, NFC Championship yeah. game against the Rams in 2018, when it got taken away from them, a Super Bowl appearance got taken away from them, uh, the refs just seemed to, like, have not favored them in a lot of key situations. And this was another uh, situation this week but like it's not like the refs have a bias or anything it's just like kind of like how variance happens and so like when you call a subjective call 
uh, like pass interference, like the one that was on Adam Thielen when he yeah. pulled the defender's face mask. It's tough to like act, give like 50 yards for that. Like it, I feel like it should be a 15 yard penalty. And like, that's something that should be changed eventually because that like set up the Vikings perfectly to, to basically end that game. Um, and, and like that, but like the, the other thing is like, Kirk Cousins has played average to below average this year, you know, he usually yeah. plays average to above average. So he's been a little bit worse than usual, but the Vikings are three and one and they're facing three top 10. De- they face three top 10 defenses, lost to the Eagles, but beat the Packers and the Saints. So something feels like it's going to break, uh, you know, either Kirk starts to play better and the Vikings are like this good team in the NFC that can maybe compete for the division with the Packers. Or the Vikings regress hard because he ranks 22nd in EPA per play right now. And we know how correlated quarterback EPA per play is to wins. And the Vikings are the big outlier there right now. Yeah, I agree. I think the the best part about this game was kind of sweating it out with our friends, you know, Sean Syed of Asside Games (laughs) and Ben Brown from PFF. You know, we kind of just in multiple conversations there. And again, I think I, I just I feel like if you play the Vikings, you can't no matter how good your number one corner is, like you shouldn't have this overconfidence mm-hmm. that your number one corner is better than Justin Jefferson. Because like, to be frank, maybe only Jalen Ramsey can lock up Justin Jefferson one-on-one yeah. at this point. And so when Lattimore was the primary coverage guy on Jefferson, uh, they targeted Lattimore 10 times for seven catches and 93 yards. And two of those not two of the three non-catches were drops. Mm-hmm. So he was open and the pass was deemed catchable. So not a great day for Lattimore. And, you know, Justin Jefferson again is, is, proving uh week in and week out why he's one of the best receivers in the nfl but let's move on to eagles jags uh what did you what was your big takeaway from this game yeah i i you know i wish this game was played in better weather because i thought it would have been a lot of fun but i think just you know the eagles offseason that we loved so much just like came to fruition in this game you have the play where uh trevor lawrence immediately gets pressured and he he makes like the right decision on on the throw like he thought he had Kirk up the left sideline James Bradbury just runs in there makes a great interception that changes the whole game right like the Jaguars were driving there to take the lead change the whole game uh Hassan Reddick two sacks uh forced fumble uh you know Trevor Lawrence was fumbled four times in this game uh first player in NFL history to lose four fumbles in one game it was raining like it won't happen again to him but we saw her Hassan Reddick's impact on the Eagles got him this offseason. And then even in a game where Jalen Hurts didn't play well uh, as a passer, A.J. Brown still ended up with five receptions for 96 yards. So we see, again, how important that play was or that trade was for the Eagles. So that was my big takeaway from this was this just like how good these offseason moves have been for the Eagles and getting them kind of set up uh, here to, to be the best team in the NFC. Yeah, I think so. I think the Eagles are running the NFC now. I think they're, it's their conference to lose. I, like I think two weeks ago, after the Eagles started two and zero, I placed a bet for them to finish number one in the NFC, and it was like plus three sixty, and now it's like plus one twenty. Mm-hmm. So I think like to me, they're the most complete team, not only in the NFC but potentially like the NFL. And it was it was really cool to see like they relied so much on Jalen Hurts the first couple of weeks. I mean, he threw for like three hundred plus yards in the Vikings game um, on prime time, but in this game, he was able to adjust, and the whole offense was able to adjust to this bad weather. And they averaged 0.12 EPA per rush versus a Jags front seven. That was like, you know, you have Fadu Kasi, Josh Allen, um, uh, Devin Lloyd, you know, he's play- been playing really well as a rookie linebacker, Foye, Luakon. Like, this is not a bad front seven. And even with jo- without Jordan Mailata and Isaac Siamalu, they're still averaging 0.12 EPA per rush. So, so like, 
I, I don't know what the what the plan is to stop this team, especially on offense, because I feel like they're so good and able to move it through the air and on the ground. And honestly, even though Jalen Hurts had a bad game, negative point one EPA per play, like I think like part of that was was just the weather. And you know, he's not he's not the type of quarterback that can like overcome a ton of obstacles. And so like not every game will have you know this type of bad weather and stuff. But I really. Yeah. I was really impressed by their performance, not only on offense, but on defense as well after that uh, bad first quarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's like the thing, right? It was like the Eagles haven't had to face adversity yeah. this year because they've gone up so, <laughs> so much in every single game they played in. And so you could actually see them battle back. Hertz was put into some expected pass situations, but like it doesn't matter because their run game is so good. And Miles Sanders was the lowest uh, total rushing yards over expected coming into this game. And like, that's like what we talk about when we talk about like, running back just variance is like so much bigger than any other position. He had an insane game, right? The second most rushing yards over expected on the week yeah. and scored two touchdowns. And like the, the, the bet that you made for Eagles to finish number one. So they play the Cardinals and the Cowboys in the next two games and then get a bye. The four teams that they face after that have a combined two wins right now between them, the the Steelers, the Texans, Washington, and uh, Colts. Sorry, combined three wins. Yeah between them so they play you know these these awful teams and like the rest of their schedule is not that hard yeah like they they actually very well could finish as the number one seed in the nfc uh you know a year after like limping into the playoffs the year before which is crazy yeah no totally and again we're both i would say rooting for our eagles especially since we have our friend zach zach Drafkin and sarah hugh there mm-hmm. but why don't we move on to bill's ravens i thought this was probably going to be the best game on the slate and kind of turned out to be that way we did, you and me, talk about John Harbaugh's fourth down decision on the PFF forecast, but and we we literally just came out of a club meeting where we discussed it again. But for our listeners, why don't you know you can give your spiel on like what happened, like the process versus the results for mm-hmm. that um, end of game decision? Yeah, so I think you saw John Harbaugh doesn't just go off five <laughs> like Ron Rivera and Dan Campbell do. Like he's gonna he's gonna give himself the best chance or he's going to give his team the best chance they have to win. And he made a very educated decision here, right? So you have the bills offense who have scored on three of their last four drives. And when Harbaugh explained his rationale for why he went for it on that fourth down, it's because if you kick the field goal and you go up three, the bills are going to play all four downs on offense that opens up their playbook that changes, uh, you know, a tired Ravens defense, how many plays that they have to stay on the field for that changes everything you have to do. And it's very hard to stop the bills offense without a fluky turnover for four straight downs. Like almost no one can do it. So going up three doesn't give you much more of a chance to win and it makes the bills more aggressive. And then if you missed it, Harbaugh, you know, mostly assumed that the bills would get the ball at the minus two yard line with, you know, 98 yards to drive for a touchdown. And then however many yards they needed to get into field goal range. And, and it was, it was wet. So it would have been a little closer than usual. There was a two to 3% chance that an interception would be thrown there. And that's like what happened. It was like the worst, you know, left tail outcome that could happen. And that's because they made Lamar Jackson drop back. When you have Lamar Jackson and his effect on, you know, what he does on defenses in the run game and what he does when he hands off the ball you have to put him in a situation where he's either rolling out with the option to run instead of a straight drop back or a design run with either him handing it off or him running it. And like, that's what Greg Roman messed up on. And like, we're, we're really big fans of everything the Ravens do, except Greg Roman, you know, sometimes we have problems with him. And like, this was an example of, of where we had a problem with him. Yeah. I think if, I think the like the way I, I've 
visualized it since last or since Sunday night is like if you draw just like a standard like distribution curve, like that play was probably in the bottom tenth percentile. Mm -hmm. Like there are there are definitely other worse plays. Like if it, if there was a pick six or a, like a big sack or a fumble six or something like there are definitely like other worse outcomes but that was definitely like one of the worst outcomes that could have happened and like again like we're more so evaluating the process rather than the results um and that's what like i care about more especially you know when looking at this from a macro perspective so don't really have any problems about the process the play call could have been a little bit better but but overall like the game like i thought I, I was watch. I was keeping up with it. I obviously had to watch my Chargers play, and um, it, it seemed like the Ravens were controlling the game in the first half, and then Lamar kind of slowed down, you know, for some reason, and uh, you know Josh Allen kind of took over, not only just with the with his arm, but with his legs, and I think that's what like that's why like I was so high on him after twenty twenty. Like I felt at times he could just take over with his legs when mm -hmm. he wanted to, and when the Ravens. I know their secondary hasn't been the greatest to start the year, but like Peters and Humphrey still like a very good cornerback duo. I think if they're both like playing healthy. So in those kind of games where, you know, your, your receivers are probably not going to get a ton of separation. I think that's where like Allen's legs and his athleticism comes into handy, especially with Mike McDonald transitioning to more like zone based schemes and man based schemes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. That was, that was a takeaway too, that I had was, you know, the, um, the bill started off with, two turnovers in the first quarter in that game. Uh, you know, the the tip pass that, you know, kind of went off the receiver's hands was negative 5.5 EPA for the Bills. And then the Devin Singletary fumble, which like fumble luck is very random, was negative 5.1 EPA for the Bills. And then yeah, Allen just completely took over in the second half. And like they he was able to partly because this Ravens team is different than the other Ravens teams that we've known before. The Ravens used to be the last team you'd want to get to deficit against yeah. because of how good their whole rushing offense was and how they could drain clock this year. Lamar Jackson's the only one that can rush on the Ravens. He had plus 2.8 EPA rushing the ball. Uh, JK Dobbins had negative 0 0.9 on 13 rushes and justice Hill on eight rushes at 0, 0.0. Um, so there's just no one else on the Ravens right now that can rush the ball. It's a combination of their offensive line, their running backs, all that stuff. But that's why they can't close out these games against the Dolphins and the um and the Bills like they've usually done in the past. Yeah. But I mean, I still think the Ravens will be fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Last game to review. Chiefs, Bucks. Dude, this was this was probably like the coolest game I think I've watched <laughs> of Patrick Mahomes. That touchdown he threw to Clyde Edwards Hilaire was just which is crazy. Like I, that's probably the play of the year for me. Yeah. It was just, he like shot put it. Yeah. Like it wasn't even a throw. It, it, Cause he just like, it's like, he's playing a video game at all times. Like he, he ran around for, I think next gen stats had it as 34 total yards yeah. on that play. Like he was just scrambling around and then he could have probably ran it himself. He could have hit the sixth offensive lineman who was open in the end zone, but he decided to do the most fun thing possible. And it looks so cool. Yeah. So so the thing I wanted to like take away from this game is it's not really like how to beat the Chiefs or how to stop the Chiefs because like those two things are very tough in its own. But I feel like you sh you can't be playing zone this year against the Chiefs. Like in in previous years, we said you have to rush for and play zone behind it, right? And you can't play man against the Chiefs because Tyreek's gonna burn you. You can't blitz them because Tyreek's gonna burn you. But they don't have Tyreek this year. And McCall Hardman, while he's fast, he's not like 
Tyreek. Like he's not going to take over a game. Like you can like he's not going to like sell his routes as well as Tyreek does. The Bucks play cover two, cover four, cover six, 64% of the time against the Chiefs. And they got absolutely shredded. And I think because the Chiefs are transitioning to more of like a quick game type offense, a lot of RPOs, a lot of quick throws to Kelsey, where like there were so many players where Kelsey would motion from outside to inside and he would just run like a, a quick stop route and they get like seven, eight yards, mm-hmm. right? I think because they're becoming so much more versatile on offense and they're even like able to run the ball. I think you start, you need to start playing more man against the chiefs because dude, I don't think anyone can separate, Mm -mm. right? Like MVS, not a great separator. He's like great long, like track distance speed shows up well in like, um, you know, Eric's, uh, next gen chats 40 time. Juju is like, he's pretty slow. Like you're not like, he's not going to burn you over top. So you can like, you know, handle him. Kelsey's, you know, obviously you got to, you got to double him or, or do what you need to do on him. But like, I look, I look back to that Chargers game on Thursday night with, you know, pretty much the Chargers entire secondary fully healthy and they played a ton of cover one. I think they played cover one about like, I think they had at least like 30, 40 snaps of cover one. Mm-hmm. So I look at this game and I'm like, the Bucs have so much talent in their secondary and linebackers. I feel like they should have been playing more man, but instead they played zone and, you know, Pat, he's in year four, no, year five as a starter. Like he's going to have enough you know, uh, knowledge as an NFL quarterback to, to dice up zone. So I don't know. Do you, do you think that like teams should be playing more man against the chiefs or should they be sitting in zone? Like we have recommended in years past. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you because this iteration of the chiefs is, is a lot different. Um, they're going to get, you know, they've been getting into a lot more 12, 13 personnel because they have the the resources to do that. And like, you don't have Tyree kill there. And like, yeah, we've kind of seen that this year, right? Like they've seen, 30, you know, cover three, 30.7% of the time and cover one, 26% of the time. So you, you've seen like kind of a shift in the way that they're being played and like only quarters has happened 14% uh, and cover two has only happened 6% of the time. Yeah. So like, it's a lot different, like with the way that the chiefs are playing and yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And like, it was just, it's just kind of crazy to see how in that stadium, uh, you know, two years ago, the Bucks just like destroyed the Chiefs, and they go and like as you know, as many problems as Brett Veach has as a GM, like you got to give credit to him for just yeah. building. He he told Mahomes like that's never going to happen to you again. We're going to do everything we can to make sure that doesn't happen. That offensive line played really well on Sunday. Uh, you know, you have the right weapons to to just tear up the Bucks, and when you have in unstoppable force going up against an immovable object with the chiefs offense and the bucks defense the offense is usually going to win that side of the matchup that's exactly what happened in this game yeah and i think the last thing i want to touch on on this the bucks offense like it's pretty crazy they only ran the ball five times Mm -hmm. right like you're asking a lot from tom brady to throw the ball 57 times in one game yeah it's a lot to go through a divorce and have to throw the ball 57 (laughs) times in a game yeah yeah <laughs> but I, I think we i want to see a little bit more balance from the bucks going forward especially with you know kind of how banged up their receiving room is and mm-hmm. you know they they don't have a, a terrible offensive line so i feel like they should be able to run the ball but obviously with brady you want to be passing more than running so definitely that was an interesting wrinkle that they just completely went away from the run game after like the first quarter yeah it's 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 really rough again like you know what we talked about with the Bengals is like before we've seen like offenses don't really need a run. Like the Bills and the Chiefs last year were fine with bad yeah. run off and rush offenses. Now this year it seems like you actually need to be able to run the ball just like enough to get into all the passing concepts you want to do. And the Bucks aren't able to do that right now either. 
And it's, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be an issue for them going forward if, if they can't figure out how to get going there. But yes, that, that wraps up our week four discussion. Uh, we will go into our who was him segments and our letdowns of the week. You are not him. You are not him. Told a bitch I'm him. Quit playing. Trying to ride with a boss with bitch get in. Try to stay on the road like the Michelin man. Put an M on your head like a Michigan fan. So these are our players and coaches who we thought were him. Uh, you know, played very, very well this past weekend. Uh, so we'll do three each. And I have to start with Gino Smith. Um, you know, I I had a lot of fun watching uh, Lions Seahawks, you know, it was, it was like a big 12 game. Uh, but Gino Smith was amazing in this game. Uh, 24.5 total EPA at, at his quarterback, which is the 98th percentile amongst all single game quarterbacks, 0.65 EPA per play and uh, a 13.1% completion percentage over expected. So like literally everything that Geno Smith was doing on Sunday was working. And like, he kind of just needs a shout out for how he's been playing the season. Like his numbers will regress because he got to play the Falcons and the Lions defenses in back-to-back weeks. But we can kind of see that when you have a quarterback that is open to throwing over the middle of the field and you have a quarterback that, you know, will um, kind of get into like a lot of the concepts that the Seahawks want to run. Right. Like, so yeah. he had, he had uh, five completions over the middle of the field on Sunday and, you know, they went for 10 yards, uh, 20, 21 and 31 yards. Like that's, that's pretty big. Like that's something that Russell Wilson didn't give them. And it's it's just like been cool to see like our friend Stephen Reeves was really high on him. It's been cool to see like how like excited everyone has been about Geno Smith so far this year. Yeah, the the Geno Smith revolution was not something I was expecting, but definitely here for it. <laughs> um, I have to, I I shouted him out earlier, but Justin Jefferson I thought had one of the best days I've seen for Miss Schieber. I mean, he was shaking Marshawn Lattimore out of his boots at times, and I thought the thing that was interesting with Jefferson was like. We we talked a lot about how like Kevin O'Connell was gonna like move him around, get him mashed up on linebackers like they did with Cup last year. Jefferson only aligned in the slot about fifteen point four percent of the time, which is like it's you know Cup was at fifty seven point one this this uh, week, Higgins was at twenty three, Tyreek Hill was at thirty five percent. So like it's not like Jefferson was being put in like easier situations. Mm-hmm. Like he was like asked to win his routes, and when the Vikings needed a bucket, right? Like I think Jefferson had like three catches by halftime. And then he just turned up in that second yeah. half. So, you know, I think he'd put the team on his back. And as long as he's there, Kirk's going to, you know, put up at least like average numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely agree. And yeah, no, it was really cool to see the sweep that he had going for the touchdown and everything. Yeah. Like just, just excited for him to to get more opportunities in this offense. Um, another kind of like receiving uh, option. I have to give TJ Hawkinson, uh, you know, a him award. And so he had 179 receiving yards on Sunday which is more than these quarterbacks had passing yards. Ryan Tannehill, who had 137. Marcus Mariota, 139. Lamar Jackson, 144. He had stuff in the run game, so that's fine. Carson Wentz, 170. And Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence at 174. So to have more receiving yards than six quarterbacks had passing yards was crazy. And this was the best game of TJ Hawkinson's career. And, like, you know, he even had more attention on him with DJ Chark and Amon Ross 8 round big out. And he just he just did exactly what the Lions needed. Uh, on every single play in this game. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, if you were betting on TJ Hawkins and you had him in fantasy, you were probably just like loving oh, the, yeah. the Jared Goff end of game situations. 
Um, so my next person, I have to, I have to shout out to Miko Ryan's. I think, I mean, he's, he's a bona fide head coaching hire for this upcoming cycle. I think the thing that was interesting is like we had, there were so many people on Twitter. I think Brad Spielberg was talking about it. A friend, Sharp Clark was talking about it. Like you can't blitz the Rams and like Stafford cooks against the blitz. The D'Amico Ryan said, F that <laughs> he still blitzed 30.4% of the time um, against the Rams. You know, he sent, uh, um, he sent like slot corner blitzes about 41% of the time on the 17 blitzes. And I mean, like the Rams just looked lost. Mm-hmm. And I think the cool thing about Ryan's is he repeatedly targeted the weak part of the Rams. Like he exposed their weaknesses where he knew no one but Cup was going to get open. So he just played like regular back coverage in the back and said, if you're going to beat us, you're not going to beat us with Cup every single play. And he attacked the interior of the um Rams offensive lines with all the stunts and twists that he was running. Like there was one play Nick Bosa was running wide open at Matthew Stafford on a twist. And I was like, that's such a smart like you need to put these Rams offense interior offensive linemen in um tough situations. And I thought he did that very well on Monday. Yeah, I mean him getting back to back shout outs for awards, like he very well deserved. Yeah. Um Coach Bass put out a cool quote where he said, when Bill Belichick said this, when the offensive line isn't very good, bring five, make sure every yeah. one of them block. That's exactly what D'Amico Ryan did, right? Like all his like blitzes were five rushers, right? You have yeah. Fafanga going up the middle, you have Fred Warner going up the middle. It was nothing more because like the Rams would have torn up maybe six, seven yeah. rushers coming. And it wasn't just the four-man rush. You just took advantage of every offensive lineman being bad. That was so cool to see play out on Monday night. Um, speaking of pass rushing, Rashawn Gary needs a shout out. Uh, you know, over the summer, we gave out Rashawn Gary Defensive Player of the Year and Rashawn Gary to lead the NFL in sacks because it's very high on him coming into this year. He ranks tied for third right now uh, in the NFL with five sacks. Two of those came on uh, Sunday and like were very big against the you know a Packers team that went into overtime with the Patriots. And he's now at plus 900 to win defensive player of the year after being plus 5,000 plus 5,000 at the, (laughs) at during the off season. So if, if you tailed us on that bet, I hope, you know, you can hold on, you know, at least a couple more weeks to maybe cash out, but, uh, you know, just to hold on for the ride, because like, I think there's a good chance he could win defensive player of the year with the way he's playing. And the fact that he's on a premier team right now. Yeah, dude, the coolest part is like, you know, you gave out Rashawn Gary and Justin Jefferson Gary's third in Depoy and Jefferson is third in Depoy. So like we should have pretty good cash that option yeah. in, in a little bit. Um, and so my last guy, Trayvon Diggs, mm-hmm. I thought, so it, it, like the whole off season was kind of like, okay, Diggs is probably going to regress and like, he's not going to get as many interceptions. He's not going to be a bad corner, but he's not going to be elite. but like, he's completely like changed the way that I've, I've like viewed him. And like, he had an elite performance against a pretty good commanders, like, receiver core only targeted four times for one catch in six yards i mean terry mclaurin curtis samuel and like Jahan dotson is like it's definitely like a top 12 wide receiver trio and i mean i think the the whole a lot of the reason dallas has been able to be so successful on defense is like they can rely on him to shut down a wide receiver one now it's not, it's not like he's giving up like a thousand yards this year he's mm-hmm. not like even when he's getting targeted he's not really um giving up yards so Thought he had a really good performance, and he's been getting a lot of love from the film analysts. Um, I think I forget who it was, but our, uh, Cody Alexander he showed a really cool clip of like Diggs playing um, man, or he was playing like zone or something, but he like 
turn his hips in a man way to be able to pick off the ball. Yeah. So it, it was really cool to see that. And, you know, he's been having a really good season. We have to obviously bite our bite our words in the off season, but I'm happy to do that when a player proves me wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, my thing about Diggs was always like what he was doing last year was something that like was it could be changed. It's not like he was just straight up bad in coverage. Yeah. He was just aggressive. So if you get less ag- aggressive, but you still have the talent to be a good corner, like that's that's kind of the outcome you get right now. And he's playing really well. The whole Cowboys defense is playing well. Yeah. Dan Quinn, you know, deserves a, a shout out too there. Um, so as we get to the letdowns now, going the other direction, I've been really disappointed this year in Jonathan Taylor. And, you know, I was, I was disappointed with him again on Sunday. And it kind of just like sums up, you know, where the, the Colts are at right now. And, you know, Taylor has a negative 0.6 rushing yards over expected uh, using PFF's model, negative 0.14 EPA per rush. Um, So, you know, these are both below average numbers. And it's just been like, you know, he was supposed to be one of the premier backs in the NFL that are up there with Nick Chubb and Aaron Jones and Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey. And all those guys are in the top right quadrant of uh, rushing yards over expected Mm -hmm. EPA per rush graph. And he's not there. And so it's it's just been kind of crazy to see, like, you know, how far the, the Colts have fallen off. And, like, he's in, like, the uh, the Joe Mixon, Najee Harris, like, oh kind of cluster right now. Uh, so that's that's not good at all for, for Taylor. Yeah, and he's already getting banged up. He mm-hmm. might not even play this Thursday against the Broncos. So definitely a big question mark there. Um, I have to go with Baker Mayfield. I mean, uh, like, I don't know. Okay, so I think in, in that – time period where they traded for Mayfield a lot of people like sharp people actually liked the trade and it's like you're kind of buying low on a guy who could give you some positive EV on the trade right but like like Baker Mayfield is straight up bad like averaging a negative 0.5 EPA per play against the Cardinals who like don't have that good of a secondary is is just absurd get a fourth percentile performance in terms of EPA against the Cardinals and the the funniest part about this is like the Panthers were putting him in like not like like non-expected pass situations. They were up 10-3 because they picked sixth Kyler Murray. And yet Baker Mayfield still put up this trash of a performance. And at this point, I mean, he has one big time, big time throw to like six turnover worthy plays mm-hmm. on the year. And it's it's just sad to see like good talents like DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey go to waste with him at quarterback. Yeah, I know. It's 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 been crazy to see uh to see how bad Baker Mayfield has been and like it's such an interesting career arc because he's literally gotten worse like each yeah, year. He's played the NFL. He had the brief blip where he had the best offensive line, great play caller. Yeah. But like his just play has just gotten worse over and over. And uh, you know, that was like always a quarterback that I or like I guess like we didn't like, but got pushback on yeah. when he was playing well. And it was just like another example of just like you gotta stay true to your opinions because um, you know, anyone who like listens to this. Uh, who like researches the stuff like we do you're 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 gonna be right more than you're wrong yeah um because of like the time that you put into football so yeah. just stay stay strong with those don't let that influence you and eat crow if you actually are wrong yeah don't don't double down on your takes yeah. uh, if you're if you find yourself wrong but i think it's a good segue to talk about you know previewing some of the upcoming games to be fair this is like one of the worst slates of football i think i've seen there's not a lot of great games a lot of good teams versus bad teams um but there are some games we can still look at and so we can look at Baker's old team, the Browns versus, you know, my Chargers. 
Um, last year is definitely like one of the game of the year candidates, right? Oh. Just a back and forth affair, 47 to 42. So any game with over 90 points should, or close to 90 points should be a game of the year candidate. But I think this game comes down to two things. The Browns rushing offense is the best in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Their rushing offense is better than the Chargers passing offense. <laughs> think about that. Just their rushing offense is better than Justin Herbert. Right. Which, you know, it isn't, that isn't a bad thing. And the, the problem I have is like, the, the Chargers rushing defense is like, okay, but they're so prone to giving up these big rushes that, you know, it's not an official bet, but like, and Nick Chubb longest rush over, like he's, he's cashed it in like every game so mm -hmm. far, like the Chargers are going to give up a 30 yard rush because Nasir utterly misses the tackle at some point. Like just bet that please. Yeah. But, but yeah, this game comes down to the Browns rushing offense versus like a average, like slightly below average Chargers rushing defense and the Chargers passing offense, which should get Keenan Allen back versus a pretty bad, Browns passing defense, which always throws the game in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I do think it, it does come down to that. Nick Chubb has a um, plus 1.1 rushing yards over expected right now, which is top five in the NFL, as always. Like, he's never not top five. Uh, Austin Eckler has a negative 1.63 rushing yards over expected. Um, uh, that's not including this past week where he played pretty well, but, like, it's still, like, you know, something where – it just it just hasn't been good for them. Like that's like I think where the difference is. Like it's just a lot on Herbert's plate right now. And like the Browns defense is not there yet from a run defense perspective. So like that's why I think it's a bad matchup, right? Is like the Falcons were able to win last week against the Browns because they were able to run 12 straight yeah. times in a row and the Browns weren't able to stop it. The Browns passing defense is 16th in in EPA per play allowed right now. So they're they're just about average, but the run defense is 30th. So you want to take advantage of that. And I just don't think Eckler and this uh, mishmash on the Chargers offensive line is going to be able to take care of that. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I don't know if you have like any like diehard Chargers fans listening to this, but like I've been like kind of saying Austin Eckler is like on the downside of his of his career. Um, You know, one of someone that we both follow goes by Cleve or C-L-E-V-T-A. Um, I thought this was interesting. So the Browns defense in in 2022 and 2021 their drop back epa allowed in quarters one through three ranks ninth but once they get to the fourth quarter that drops like 26th so you know this this also opens the this is obviously like defense is so unpredictable week over week especially pass coverage but this could open a potential cool thing for like live betting opportunities yeah. but again like there's so many things that go into this like you have to be watching the game and following it to do that but i'm, I'm really excited for this matchup especially as a chargers fan i think you know, going into Cleveland's not going to be easy and the Browns have been playing some really good football. Um, but yeah. It's going to be a good test for where both teams are at I, because exactly. we know they're not top tier in the AFC. Browns with Jacoby Brissett yeah. charges with their injuries. But like, where are they exactly? Yeah. That that middle picture in the AFC right now is so muddied uh, once you get past the top couple of teams. So, you know, whoever comes out looking better in this game is going to be, you know, something that I kind of take away. And like the Browns, like, are four and zero and Kevin Cole's adjusted yeah. scores. It's like they've they've like deserved to, they deserve to at least be three and one. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's just been weird how they haven't been winning these games. But you know, I, I think we might see that this week where they they get like one of those yeah. uh, wins. And uh, but I hope not for for your sake. Yeah. Okay, Lions Patriots. Um, I'm gonna let you take it away. <laughs> um, first of all, Lions organization revenge game on Matt Patricia <laughs> I don't know if that's like a thing that happens and there's not many players left over from that regime anyways but that's that's what's going to happen 
Uh, you couldn't ask for a better opportunity for Bailey Zappi to get his first career NFL start in this game. The Lions do have the worst defense in the NFL. Um, but what I think can happen in this game is the Lions have been getting just roasted for blitzing, you know, top five rate in the league, playing man coverage top yeah. five rate in the league. That's something that can actually mess with a rookie quarterback that, you know, they've been able to be picked apart by like veterans um, or just like better quarterbacks with, with, uh, you know, Hertz and, yeah. and Cousins and uh, Geno Smith last week. But Belichick just like still has his fastball. He showed that by taking the Packers as 10 and a half point underdogs into overtime. Um, the last time he played Goff, uh, Goff had negative 10.1 total EPA. Um, and, you know, he might just like kind of know how to, how to like stop Goff and like what Goff's limitations are because Goff does have limitations uh, as much as he's been putting up his stats and like the Lions offense has been really good so far, but a lot of it's been fluky and on a house of cards. Yeah. And this could be the game where it comes crashing down is, is my fear. Like when you're going up against a Belichick defense in new England outdoors um, and everything like that. Yeah. So interestingly enough, like the one like weak point, weak point of this Patriots defense is the rush defense ranked 29th in EPA per play um and they rank uh they actually rank 31st in success rate so like it, it's tough because I think if if golf is being put into expected pass situations this game it's going to be rough I think but if it's a neutral game script and like I don't know if DeAndre Swift is going to come back you know obviously we record this before injury reports and stuff I think the lines could hold their own and like they're going to dominate in the trenches. I think like they've been dominating good like fronts and it's not like the Patriots front is anything to get excited about. So I think, you know, it's going to be, I'm more curious to see how Zappy does against the Lions, um defense, but I think the Lions have a distinct advantage on offense. And I think that could help them in play uh, in this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because like what, what Belichick did to Goff last time was play the six, one front yeah. that destroyed the, Rams outside zone yeah. run game because like that was the only thing they were running and then also destroyed the play action game because yeah. you could have the two guys on the outside yeah. of the six yeah. shot back. We you can't do that against the Lions because they have the most diverse run game in the NFL. Yeah. They literally run everything. Yeah, no, they run gap trap. You know, power. um, yeah, power Ram. inside zone, yeah. outside zone. It's crazy. So Belichick's gonna have you know a big a big test for this. Um, it's a slap in the face that Jelani Tavai, uh, the slowest second round linebacker ever taken in the history of the NFL, uh, who had a 30 overall PFF grade with the Lions, has a 69 PFF grade with the uh, with the Patriots right now. And he brought back Jamie Collins, who I'm sure will look good once he gets going in the I Patriots know. system right there. So I do like the Patriots in this one just because of all of that. But there is the path with the run game that you mentioned that where the Lions can pull this one out. Yeah. Totally. Um, Sunday night football, Ravens, Bengals. This should be a really fun game. You know, Ravens have a lot of pent up anger, I feel like, towards the Bengals. A lot of trash talks been going on during the offseason. Um, so this is kind of like their revenge game. This is also the first game the Bengals play a non backup quarterback. Right. Like we talked about the, the slate of quarterbacks they face. So um, hopefully you know, I didn't jinx anything. And Lamar is able to just tear up this Bengals defense. But again, big question for me. What do the Ravens play? against this Bengals offense. I feel like they're smart enough. This is a smart, one of the smartest, if not the smartest organization in football. I feel like they know they shouldn't be playing man like at all. And if they do, like they better be giving safety help over the top to Jamar Chase. But like the 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 Bengal or the Ravens coverage like breakdown under Mike McDonald has primarily been a lot of uh quarters, a lot of like too high stuff bringing over some of the stuff he did 
um, in Michigan. So I think like the Ravens should match up well against the against the Bengals. But again, it's all about adjusting your scheme to to counter the Bengals personnel um, if when you're playing Cincinnati. Yeah, this is why you bring in Mike McDonald and you get rid of Wink Martindale yeah. is like for this exact game, yeah. right? Like we saw the legend of Joe Burrow literally be created against the Ravens last year because, well, for one, they had no corners. But like the other reason was like the scheme that the Ravens were running at the time was just so advantageous for a quarterback like him. So you know, I th- I do think that the Ravens um, should should stay in in the coverages that like we mention every week yeah. should should stop the the Bengals. But like my problem is like the Ravens defense just like Bad. isn't good right now. Like they did get the benefit of the two turnovers in the Bills game, and they like rank okay in you know EPA per play and everything. But like they just they don't look the part, um, and it it is like going to be pretty big for them to uh to have to match up against you know Jamar Chase T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Hayden Hurst, which is just like a nasty receiving quartet. Yeah, and so like Ravens coverage breakdown, they like to vary their coverages against the pass. Like they don't really you know really blitz that often. They kind of blitz or they do blitz at a little bit of a higher rate than most teams, blitzing at about 6.2% of the time, or they send cover zero, 6.2, X that. Mike McDonald, please, if you're listening to this, <laughs> if anyone from the Ravens is listening to this, just don't blitz, don't, just do not cover zero blitz the Bengals. But um, in terms of like their coverage breakdown, like they played like cover two, cover three, quarters, cover six, like they like to vary their coverages. So I think as long as they play a, a decent amount of too high, hopefully they increase their uh, cover two rate a little bit for this game because that is the coverage that Joe Burr struggles the most versus, um, you know, I think they should be fine. And, you know, I think the Bengals offense uh, or the Bengals defense against this Ravens offense, like I don't really know what to take away from this game because the Bengals off or the Ravens offense kind of just changes what it does, you know, kind of game, game over game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I I agree with all of that. Uh, getting into Monday night Raiders Chiefs. Um, again, it's just a blessing to be able to watch Patrick Mahomes yeah. in prime time. Like when he plays at one o'clock, there's so much going on. Usually the Chiefs are like up by a lot, so yeah. you don't get to see a lot of it. When he plays on prime time, just like watching him under lights is is really special. Um, but I want to start on the other side of the ball, and I think this is where we have some disagreement. I think the Raiders are actually like fine. Like they're a fine team. Like I know they started 0-3. Right now they rank on offense, they rank 12th in EPA per play, 17th in success rate. So above average at, you know, efficiency and, uh, you know, right around average and, and staying on the tracks and, and making sure you get um, positive plays that, that move the ball. And like they just had like some really weird stuff just happen. Like they should not have lost that Cardinals game. Uh uh, you know, Chargers game, they they clawed their way back. They had a chance until Cleo Mack took over. And the Titans game was just like, you know, I I think just Josh McDaniels being weird. And like last week, they kind of dominated the Broncos, like adjusted score. Uh, Kevin Cole yeah. showed that they should have won by 11 points. So 14, or 14 points. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I do think that their their offense is kind of just there. And then I know you lo- really like Max Crosby. Yeah. Like I, I put out a tweet the other day saying like after Nick or Joey Bosa, um, TJ Watt and Miles Garrett, since they're all hurt, the best edge player in the league right now might be Max Crosby. Like Michael Parsons is, is a better player, but he's not like a full-time edge, right? Mm-hmm. So I think Max might hold that dis- distinction. Um, But like the thing I just, I don't like about the Raiders offense is like Matt Collins is their wide receiver three. And that offensive line is just horrible. And like, 
the de- like Denver's D line is like it's okay. Like Randy Gregory got hurt during that game, so like they're kind of only down to Bradley Chubb, who isn't like I think he's like an okay pass rusher. But like the the game against the Chargers, like an, like an actual defense, like a top ten defense, like they struggled a lot, and like a lot of their production came in the third and fourth quarter, which obviously that does matter. But I mean, they they struggled to put up points in the second half against Arizona. They clawed their way back against Tennessee, which you know their defense is like not that good. So I think Kansas, like our friend Eric here, likes to say the vaunted Kansas City Chiefs defense <laughs> this year, which is like something I didn't think I would be saying. But I, I don't know. I I still have my reservations about this offense, and I think they're a little too top heavy. And once once you take away Devonte, um, you know, you know, very few teams can do that. But if done effectively, I think they're in a very tough spot. But again, like we don't really disagree on much, but you know, we. I think we disagree on this. I think it's okay that Mac Hollins is their wide receiver three because their actual third receiving option is Darren Waller. Yeah. So you you really need three receiving options to be successful offense. But but Renfro and, hasn't played in like two weeks. That's, yeah. That's, that's my point. Like I think that's why they p- probably lost the Tennessee game. And like, sorry, I didn't mean. To yeah. No. No. You're, no. I understand. And like, but like, I think like, yeah. I don't know. If, if, I mean, if he gets back there, I'm not talking about for this game specifically. I'm just talking about the Raiders' offense as a whole. When you get those three there. Adams is not going to be this unproductive forever. Like there's, there's going to be opportunities to get him in there. Like I, I think, you know, Josh McDaniels, uh, as much as of a head coach, maybe disadvantage he is as yeah. a play caller, he's still, he's still fine. Right. Yeah. So I, I just think that like the Raiders offense is there and like they, they should be able to put up points because they have like in, in all these games, it's just, it's just weird how the, um, the games have kind of gone for them, but I think that like starts to to tick back up. It just it stinks that like you know a primetime game for them is just going to be against the Chiefs, where they'll probably get blown out of the water. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So those were the previews we wanted to do. We can transition to our best. So like, let's, dude. I am so like triggered about how our bets have been going. Like, so last week we went two and two. You kind of carried us. You went two and zero. I went zero and two. Our best bet of the Browns at the Falcons. So Kevin Cole's adjusted score had the Browns winning. I thought the Browns should have won this game. Like the Browns, they had two red zone trips that resulted in three points combined. Mm-hmm. They had a first and goal from the damn one that ended up being fourth and goal from the game 11, right? Like I'm not going to curse or anything, but like I got, like with Nick Chubb and a top three offensive line, they couldn't score from the one against this pathetic Falcons defense are ranked dead last or ranked dead last in EPA per rush mm-hmm. heading into this allowed heading into this game. Najoku fumbled inside the Browns territory, giving the Falcons easy field position, which led to their first touchdown. Just so many mistakes that I was just like, how is this happening? And obviously at the end of the game, the, the biggest thing that I couldn't handicap on Tuesday because I didn't know the Browns injury status, the Falcons rush offense just dominated this this Browns run D and you talked about it in your in the Browns Chargers preview and I was like DMing with with um one of our friends Brett who goes by at Deep Value Better who does an amazing job with with Jude on their podcast and I was like look I I still have the same conviction about the Browns rush offense mm-hmm. against the Falcons rush defense because Nick Chubb averaged 6.2 yards per carry Kareem Hunt averaged 4.9 yard, yards per carry the problem was the opposite side of the ball. And again, we recorded it when Miles Garrett was injured, but like we didn't know like the extent of the injury. And so just like unfortunate things happen after we locked that in as better of the week. And 
again, they were the better team. They just didn't pull it out, which is kind of the story of the Brown season. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for everyone listening, whatever we pick is the better of the week, maybe fade it because <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been good uh, so far. Like our other bet that we lost to was uh, Bagels Dolphins over. Yeah. And like, if Tua doesn't go down, I do think that game goes over. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, that's like, you know, another thing that we couldn't prepare for, but um, yeah, like when we talk about like our process, when it comes to approaching these bets, like I've like, I've just like thought, you know, recently about kind of like how I've approached, um, you know, player props wise, like the bets that I've been giving out for PFF, like I've done well, like that I haven't done a good job of understanding, uh, how teams will perform yeah. in games this year. And so when I think about it from that perspective, I've been thinking about like, you know, just like baking in, not being so confident about certain things. Like there's just still so much that can happen, uh, you know, from the beginning of the week to the end, like, oh, he'll play or, yeah. oh, like they'll, they'll be fine if they have like one injury at an offensive line position. Like these things really compound and cluster and that can really ruin, you know, a, a lot of the bets. Uh, with that being said, we're back again yeah. on the Browns this week. <laughs> plus three against your chargers i'm yeah. sorry no, i just like the browns here um i i was surprised like i when i make these bets i try to go through and i'm like who am i the most surprised by uh and you know browns plus three i i was pretty surprised you know at home um chargers traveling west coast to east coast all that stuff that that stuff's baked in but still um and i yeah i do like the browns here because of like the matchup advantage i think that they have on both sides of the ball and I'm I'm excited for this game. Like I'm I'm glad like we have something on it. And I just think that right now where the Browns are and where the Chargers are, this is going to be a tough game for the Chargers to win. Yeah. And like even if they do win, it, it it should be really close like it was last year. So I like having that three points as a cushion. Yeah. The Browns are again, like we said about the Ravens, one of the smartest teams in football. Like if I was them, I'm just running to whatever side Khalil Mack is not on. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna run at Calvin Noy and Chris Rump, obviously two <laughs> household names, I'm sure. But yeah, I mean, it's either the Browns are gonna probably win this game outright, or like you're probably gonna be able to bet the Chargers live to predict the Browns collapse. But yeah, I, I do like this. I, I do like this bet, and you know, I I know I seem pretty negative on my Chargers at times, but. You know, it's 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 tough sometimes. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the plus three, I think, is probably the move over Chargers minus three. Um, okay, one bet I absolutely love that, you know, the 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 number isn't great, but I, I still think it's worth a play. It's Eagles minus three first half against the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals have the worst, I mean, the absolute worst EPA per play in the first half of NFL games, you know, in through four games. The Eagles, on the other hand, have the second best EPA per play in the first oh. half um, off on the offensive side of the ball. And then they just take their foot off the pedal, right? So yeah. I, I don't want this five and a half where Kyler Murray will do his late game magic and somehow backdoor this. I want the minus three mm-hmm. where the second best first half offense just dominates the first, the, the team that has the worst first half offense. And we're getting this minus three at, um, at, you can even get minus two and a half or yeah, minus two and a half minus half, minus one thirty on points bet, but you know, shop around. I don't mind minus three at, at you know, kind of even money minus yeah. one ten. Uh, that's, you know, my handicap for this week. And I absolutely, I'm backing our, one of our favorites, one of my favorite teams, at least. Oh, that's a great bet because the Eagles defense has played really well in the yeah. first half as well too. And they kind of let it off in the second half also. So it's, yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. I wasn't even looking at that. I'm glad, I'm glad you put, put that out there. Um, Okay. Next bet. Seahawks 
I think you can find this at plus five and a half, plus six, uh, depending on which book you're looking at. The Seahawks are not a good football team, but so aren't the Saints. <laughs> um, and getting six points, you know, I know it's on the road and like what I said about West Coast, East Coast, uh, like a couple minutes ago, but this would be like, you know, a bet where the Seahawks have a pretty big quarterback advantage. Their supporting cast looks, you know, really good. Um, and like the Saints are just like, the Saints are coming back from London. Yeah. And they have the short week. Like that's a lot to fly out to London, play a game, fly back. You play a really close game, a heartbreaking loss. So I just, I really like the Seahawks in this spot getting six points. Um, and, you know, it, maybe it could be a good teaser leg as well for for those that, that want to add that in there. Yeah, no, no. So I, I I agree. I think this is a great teaser leg if you want to tease it out to like 10 and a half because you're crossing six, seven and 10, mm-hmm. three of the key numbers. Um, so I got to change mine a little bit. Um, but I do, I do like Seahawks plus five and a half. And again, plus 10 and a half would also be a, a good teaser leg. So let's, let's do this. So um, I have Chiefs minus two and a half as one of my teasers. Again, like I have to use five point teasers because that's what FanDuel has as like a minus 110. Um, ideally you can get six, you can do a six point teaser at minus 110, like a, a standard long teaser, and you can get Chiefs down to minus one and a half. But again, we're going to count this at five and a half. So let's do Chiefs minus two and a half and Niners minus one and a half. So like if Kyle Shanahan, I have my hands clenched right now. <laughs> if Kyle Shanahan loses to Matt Rule and and Baker freaking Mayfield, <laughs> I will just charge it to the game and be like, okay, just take my money. So the teaser, we're, we're teasing Chiefs down from seven and a half to two and a half. So not crossing seven, crossing three. We're te- teasing the Niners down from six and a half to one and a half. Um, if, again, if you can get a six-point teaser and get pretty much uh, Niners money line and uh, Chiefs minus one and a half at minus 110, great. Go do that. We're going to count this as a five and a half. And again, we're literally just picking the Chiefs to beat the team that Patrick Mahomes just shredded his whole career and Kyle Shanahan to not lose against Matt Rule. Do you want to make that our lock of the week? <laughs> or, or do we do the Seahawks plus five and a half? I think I think we do the Seahawks. Seahawks. Okay, let's do let's do Seahawks plus yeah. five and a half plus six, depending on what book you're looking yeah. at it. Those are our bets for the weekend. Like again, like those we like the three te- teaser legs. Like you can choose two yeah. of those. Um, Seahawks plus ten and a half, Chiefs minus two and a half, and then 49ers uh, minus one and a half. Minus one and a half. So um, so that's that's uh and the lock of the week, Seahawks plus five and a half. So that's all we have. Week four review, week five preview. Um we might have some pretty big news yeah. <laughs> coming up on, on the next episode or maybe the episode after. So be on the lookout for that. And yeah, just everyone. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for listening. We were reminded to that. We should be uh, telling people to review the show <laughs> and, and give five stars, yeah. which is something that we haven't done in the past. So if you've, if you've been listening and enjoying, make sure to do that. Um, but anything else before we head off? No, that's all. That's all. Uh, until next time, I'll take the points.